Welcome to the Love and Context Podcast, engaging in unscripted conversations with your hosts, Ben and Spencer. Whether you're tuning in from your car, your office, your home, or anywhere in between, we are so happy to have you join us today. Our mission is simple, to explore the Bible through a powerful lens of love. Together, we'll uncover fresh insights and gain deeper understandings of how we can love God and love the people in our everyday lives. So buckle up and join us on the spiritual journey as we discover timeless wisdom that is just as relevant today as it was thousands of years ago. Without further ado, let's dive right in. Welcome to the Love and Context podcast with Spencer and Ben. We're here to talk about Bible stuff. All right. This week is the long-awaited, maybe slightly contested Definitely. Q&A. <laughs> It actually hasn't been contested on our end. If anybody is contesting this Q&A, please email us. However, you'll be too late on the email at this point. Yeah, this is, this is the Q&A episode. We've received a number of questions from different people mm-hmm. and probably should have given a more narrow scope, but that's probably... That's all right. Yeah, that's all right. So, you know, the reality for us is that we realize that we're going to be talking and breezing through some topics and mm-hmm. like sometimes we're not going to talk about things that people want to talk about. Yeah. And so periodically, uh, probably every 24, 25 mm-hmm. episodes, yeah. we're going to drop another Q&A. Um, provided that there's still hunger for it. Yeah. So throughout our entire uh, podcast, if you have questions, thoughts, things that you'd like to see us discuss further, drop us an email, loveincontext at gmail.com. Comment on one of our reels, one of our photos, something. Mm-hmm. Like, just let us know. Yeah. Best way to get questions to us is email or message via uh, social media. Yeah. So let's just jump in. Right. Let's just jump in and jump into a question. So I got this question to the email. It said, since Abram slash Abraham was commended for his faith, what does faith look like in a rabbinic tradition? It's a great question. It is a good question. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So on a very broad level, we're not going to get into like specifics because it's going to, that'd be a very long episode if we did that. It would be multiple episodes. Yeah. It'd be multiple episodes. Yeah. But on a very broad level, faith is what you actually enact in your life. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. I think about in the New Testament where Paul makes a statement. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Mm -hmm. Okay. We read past that and we're like, oh, you make a public declaration. Okay. But think about where they are. They're in Rome Mm -hmm. where everybody has to say that Caesar is is Lord. Lord. Mm -hmm. Not only that, they're in Rome in a time going into persecution. Like persecution hasn't fully set in in Rome yet. But there's actually some arguments and timeline there. But regardless, either persecution is happening or it's very close to happening. And regardless, they're under captivity either way. And so when you acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, you're saying that Caesar is not. Mm -hmm. And that is a very big deal because what you're doing is now your future is tied to Christ Mm -hmm. and putting him into practice in your life. Mm -hmm. And denying Caesar as Lord also denied your ability to participate in marketplaces, Mm -hmm. social status in communities, so on and so forth. Yeah, potentially, depending on the area region you're in. So when we're talking about what does it look like to have faith in rabbinic sense, it is a belief that enacts change, Mm -hmm. right? We tend to look at, from a Western perspective, We look at belief as like an intellectual ascent, Mm -hmm. right? A good one for us to reference here is the first episode of Bema. They say, what is Bema? Mm -hmm. And Marty Solomon goes into a lot of things about Eastern versus Western thinking, Mm -hmm. right? That's going to clear up a lot of these things about how does faith work. Yeah. But in a Eastern perspective, if you have faith in something, you demonstrate it by what you do, not what you think. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is a really important thing for us to understand as Westerners that there's a lot of people who think, oh, yeah, Jesus is Lord. Mm -hmm. But if you don't actually live like it, it doesn't impact you in any sort of way. I got news for you. You may say it, but it's not true. Mm -hmm. Because if he was Lord, you would actually live your life like you belong to a monarchy. Yeah. Yeah. And we put our faith in a lot of things that we enact. A lot of people, I mean, really practical, and a lot of people put faith in money. Yeah. Right? Where the more I'm going to make an enactment by saving more or investing more or spending more or whatnot, right? 
Like we can put faith in believing that that has power. We can put faith in social justice issues around the world mm-hmm. of like, hey, if I do this, we're going to solve that issue or help solve this issue, which may be true, may not be true. Mm-hmm. Okay, If you are doing that, great. I'm a huge social justice advocate and I love it when I see people step up and be like, we are going to dedicate a good portion of our life to seeing something end or something start that is good so Mm -hmm. so when you're enacting that though that's what we're talking about Mm -hmm. yeah like faith in something means you actually believe it to actually do something like you're actually placing Mm -hmm. your weight in it it a weight is actually probably a good way i believe in the hebrew has to do with like have you actually placed your weight on it and i think one of the very common stories you'll hear told from pastors from stage, which I actually think is completely appropriate. You say you have faith in Jesus and like, you can say that you have faith in a chair, but until you sit in it, Mm -hmm. like, do you really have faith in that chair? Yeah. I have faith in elevators to elevate me and de-elevate me because I step into them and push the button. I have faith that coffee is going to help wake me up. Yeah. Which sometimes works. I should specify that I did step in an elevator and it went, and I did not have faith that it would take me to where I needed to go. So I stepped out and I took the stairs. So like I demonstrated by my action, Mm -hmm. whether or not I had faith in it. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when we're talking about Abram and Abraham were commended for his faith, it means that he actually put into practice demonstrating that he trusted that Yahweh was true to his word. Mm -hmm. And how did he do this? He did this by leaving his family Mm -hmm. and following God. Now, see, we view this in a westernized context of like, oh, well, you're stepping out on your own and can justify it that way. The context Abram was in was so family-centric. It was like, no, 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 no. You stay with your family if you get married, mm-hmm. that person gets brought into your family. If you're a man and you marry a woman, that person's brought into your family and you stay with your family. And then when the head of the family dies, there's a whole pecking order of who is now in charge. Mm-hmm. And so God's showing up to Abram saying, go is to say, leave the whole societal norms that you know and follow me. That's so good. So hopefully that, that, that helps there. We're not going to spend a lot more time on that. That might be an episode where we talk about, I'm going to call it church ease, yeah. where we say, I don't quite understand what the church is saying, mm-hmm. where we talk about a lot of these concepts and break them down into plain yeah. English. Mm-hmm. All right, here's another one. I, I love this one. What does the word law mean in the scriptures? Right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, my first initial impression is going to say a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Right. So I was listening to listening to a Jewish linguistic professional Mm -hmm. and she was talking about the interpretation of the word law. And so sometimes in our translations, we have law. Sometimes we have commandment. Sometimes we have a decree. We have statute like they're they're translated differently. Now, when we read those, a lot of times, I think in American society, we view those all as the same thing. Yeah. But they're not actually the same thing. They're different Hebrew words. Some words that are given are pictorially or linguistically linked to the idea of cutting into stone. Yeah. Right? These are immovable commands. Mm -hmm. Think of the words of God. Mm -hmm. Right? These are immovable commands. These are immovable instructions that are meant to be a lasting vigil all throughout their life. Mm -hmm. There are other ones that are more linguistically connected to a rushing river. Mm-hmm. which the implication is that if you step into this, it's going to take you to where it's supposed to go. Mm-hmm. Right? So my point is that there's a lot of different ways you can understand law, but I think that the worst way you can understand it is the way that we Americanize it and say that law means something that you violate and you get in trouble for. Yeah. Because I think that even just going through Leviticus, we talked about, the law isn't meant to just correct bad behavior. It's actually supposed to promote a specific kind of behavior that puts God on display. Mm-hmm. I have nothing to add to that. You have nothing to add to that. Oh, man, that's so funny. This is this is one connected to that that I think is, I've been looking through these questions and figuring out how we can kind of link some of these. Mm-hmm. But they were they're asking, what does the expression works of the law mean when Paul uses it? Mm-hmm. Right now, if you listen to our episode where I think it was the moral law versus the works of the law, mm-hmm. we talked a little bit about Galatians, mm-hmm. right? And there was a, a fancy phrase that I used. It was mixate atorah, mm-hmm. right? Works of the law. 
And specifically, what Paul is referring to is the things that you do that make you Jewish, literally Jewish, like the things that you're asked to do or or put on yourself that like make you distinctive from everybody else, mm-hmm. right? Which is really important because we just talked about that in Leviticus as well. Yeah, Circumcision, mm-hmm. right? Bearing the sign of the covenant. That's one of them. Mm-hmm. Not wearing blended fabrics, not cutting the ends of your field. These are works of the law that are designed to make you look different than everybody else. Mm-hmm. So I think yeah. my favorite one in there is in Le- we talked about last week in Leviticus 19 where it says not to trim like the edges of your beard. Right. Stuff like that. Right. I think that's my favorite one. Yeah. One of these days we're going to get a video going and you'll be able to see that Spencer has quite the beard. <laughs> so you you interpret these and sometimes you read the laws and you'll be like, oh, I don't understand how that applies. Well, because you got to put it in context. So mm-hmm. if you're wondering why that one, go listen to last week. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, modernize it a little bit just so you can get yourself in the zone and then take yourself out of that zone and put yourself in the, in the context of which, of which it's written. There are specific things as Americans that we do that make us look like Americans. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm not going to get into that. I don't want to get political, but there are specific things we do as Americans that make us look more American. Yeah. So the idea when you see works of the law showing up in the writings of Paul, Mm -hmm. Paul is referring to something that was understood in their time as a specific set. Now I have heard some scholars and I disagree with them Mm -hmm. mostly because they're not new Testament scholars. And other New Testament scholars will actually tell you that during this time of rabbinic conversation, there was a set of laws that they looked at. That's why they call it the Mixa the works of the law. Mm-hmm. And this is what Paul was referring to. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's very clear if you understand rabbinic conversation during that time that that's what Paul is referring to. So I think what happens is we get into Galatians and we're like, oh, well, Paul is just saying that Gentiles don't have to follow the law. No, he says you don't need to follow the works of the law because the works of the law, the things that make you Jewish and make you holy the way that God is holy, are never the things that justified you. Mm -hmm. Your justification doesn't come from observance of the law. It comes from God. Mm -hmm. Always. That's why Paul comes back and he says that Abraham, speaking of our first conversation, he was justified by faith because he heard what God promised and he lived in such a way that he believed it. Which is really important because we hear about the work of Jesus Christ uh-huh. and we say we trust in our justification because of the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And because of that, we're saved. What Paul isn't saying is now the law has no bearing on you mm-hmm. because he's not talking about Torah. He's talking about a specific subset of what the Jews were supposed to do to put God on display. Yeah. Right. This actually comes back later in the book of Acts when the disciples decide what do the Gentile believers actually need to observe. Yeah. Right. And this is a very important nuance, guys. And the reason it's so important is because there's a lot of what I call supersessionism in the church Mm -hmm. where we say the church is now taking the place of Israel. On a broad level, sure, I get, I get hear what you're saying, but we were actually grafted into the tree of Israel. Mm -hmm. And so Israel has grown into the church. Israel has welcomed us in as foreigners. Correct. Correct. Just because there's more of us than them doesn't mean we're not part of their family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You think that that's going to get us a soundbite? <laughs> Probably. Probably. Yeah. We might get us that out of love and out of context. Out of love and out of context. <laughs> yeah. From Nick. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, actually, this is actually great because this one just course coincides with what we just uh, asked. It says, does Paul teach that the Old Testament law is now abolished? No. And I'm going to reiterate no, because Paul is always translating Jesus to the nations. Mm -hmm. And Jesus said that not one dot or iota is going to be removed, Mm -hmm. but rather it's being fulfilled by Torah made flesh. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Jesus himself said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Yeah. And Paul reiterates that Paul being a Jew, Mm -hmm. being a Jewish teacher, Paul would be someone who he's not abolishing it. What he's saying, he's saying, I see that Jesus fulfilled all of this. So he's not saying it's void, we don't need to worry about it, we don't need to do do what it says or anything like that. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that Jesus fulfilled everything that was said in the law. Right. This is what John is saying at the beginning of his book. He says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and the Word was made flesh, right? Mm-hmm. And tabernacled among us. Jesus is Torah made flesh. Yes. Jesus is the representation of what Torah looks like when a person follows it yes. in the world. Mm-hmm. 
And it's important that we understand. So once again, going back to Galatians, which is where a lot of people get this idea that Paul is like, hey, I'm just abolishing Torah. No, Paul is saying that Gentiles, you're not justified by the things that make you Jewish. Just like the Jews have never been justified by the things that make them Jewish. Mm -hmm. They've been justified by their faith in God. Yeah, and you also need to look at Galatians. You need to have a little bit of the context of the conversation that the church was having at the time, Yeah, which was, hey, we want to share Jesus with these foreigners, mm -hmm. but do we make them live by the standards that we have said yes to? Correct. The, the God-fearing Gentiles. People are already going to synagogue on a weekly mm -hmm. basis that were on the peripheral, mm -hmm. like they wanted to be part of it. And so when Paul came through and he preached, Hey, everybody's welcome in by the faith in Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Now coming behind him, come other Jews who are also believers in Jesus. Mm -hmm. So we don't want to like be too hard on them. Right. Yeah. But they're like, Oh, well, no, you actually have to be a Jew too. Yeah. And they just don't understand what Jesus is doing. Mm -hmm. I like to draw like modern parallels, right? If someone comes into church who maybe doesn't have the most appropriate tattoo on them, mm -hmm. right, and they say yes to Jesus, they start following Jesus, right? They are actively in the process of their relationship being restored to Jesus, okay, but they still have that tattoo, right? Mm -hmm. Are you going to tell them, well, in order for you to actually be restored to Jesus, you need to go get that lasered off? Right. I think what we have a hard time like wrapping our brain around is that we have the same call to bring kingdom heaven to earth. Yeah. But the call on Gentiles and, Jew and Jews is completely different on how we accomplish that. Yeah. And we are meant to complement each other, not antagonize each other. Mm -hmm. By the way, denominations, I'm talking to you. Mm -hmm. We're meant to complement each other, not antagonize one another. Yep. In Galatia, these God-fearing Gentiles responded to Paul, and the other guys come and say, well, no, you got to get circumcised because otherwise you're not going to participate in the kingdom to come. Mm -hmm. And Paul's like, listen, if you have to get circumcision now, in order to participate to the kingdom that comes, then Jesus was a worthless sacrifice for you. Mm -hmm. You have to understand that if you think God is holding out on you, you're falling prey to the exact same thing as the garden. Yeah. Through Jesus Christ, he is not holding out on you. You accept through faith and your identity is carried up to the very throne rooms of heaven. Amen. So don't think you're justified by what you do. Now, I think, I think probably where the person is going with this, this question is I think that sometimes maybe the, the focus after that is that, okay, but now you don't have to do any of the law. Yeah. I was like, well, no, the law is meant to bring life. It's meant to put God on display. Your life should put God on display. Yeah. But you're not following the law religiously. You're following it through relationship with Christ and by the leading of the Holy Spirit who brings the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Side note, a lot of the law that we like view as restrictive is actually echoed in a lot of Paul's writings, a lot of Peter's writings, James, right. John, a lot of the law is actually echoed. Contextualized for the modern culture. Mm -hmm. yep. right. All, right. All right. I'm trying to follow a theme here because there's a bunch of questions. So I'm just kind of following a little bit of a theme. How much damage do we cause when we apply the teachings of the Torah without considering what it meant to those it was directly given to? We cause a lot of damage when we apply the teachings of the Torah and not consider the context in which they're written and who they were written to and why they were written to them. Let's like uh, let's add that on there too. Uh, Torah was not written to be restrictive. It was not written to just give a set of rules. It was written to set you apart and bring you into a restored relationship with God. Because forgiveness of sins, spoiler alert, happened in the Old Testament. There was a system set up for that. So you could have sins forgiven and you could be set apart and have a restored relationship with God. Mm -hmm. And it was an ongoing thing you had to do through sacrificial system, so on and so, so forth. But the nature never changed. But the nature never changed. The other thing I would, I would say with that is you need to understand the context of cultures surrounding Israel in the time that Torah was written. Correct. Because if you don't understand that, you're, it's not going to make, a lot of these laws aren't going to make sense. Well, yeah, like when we talked about Leviticus 19, we're yeah. like, okay, God says, I'm going to have you do these things so that you're holy like I'm holy. Mm -hmm. Okay, you're going to be different than everybody else around you. Yeah. Don't prostitute your daughter. Yeah. In which, like, we're in a westernized concept, we're like, well, yeah, no, no duh. duh. Yeah. In that, but in that culture, there were surrounding cultures where that was a common thing to do to, for worship to their gods was to prostitute their children. So God's saying, no, we're not going to do that because we're going to be set apart. 
Yeah, I, I also think that it's important to note that once again, this is God affirming the value of women. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Right? I, I think it's a really important, and once again, linking back to that, what is Bema? Mm-hmm. And I think it's episode negative one. I thought it was what they call it or something yeah. like that. Yeah. But this this idea of when you go and interpret the Bible, there's, there's a couple of things you got to remember. Who's speaking? Mm-hmm. Who are they speaking to? Yeah. What does the person speaking think they're saying? Mm-hmm. And what does the person hearing think they're hearing? Yeah. Then, like you said, what's going on culturally with them, but also culturally around them. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing, you also have to think about the type of literature that you're mm-hmm. engaging. But the type of literature makes a really big difference. For example, if you read a story or if you heard me tell a story, me, and I said, I went to the store one day to buy a gallon of milk. Mm-hmm. I wanted to wear my plaid, but instead I wore a shirt of silk. Mm-hmm. And you took that as an essay. What's the problem with that? It's clear that I'm speaking in poetry, mm-hmm. right? There's rhyme, there's cadence, there's all these different things that are going on inside of my language. When you're saying, I wore a t-shirt to the store. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so there's a different kind of literature. So when you go and you say, okay, I'm going to interpret all of these books exactly the same. There's a problem with that. You can't interpret Genesis the same as Leviticus because they're different stories. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so you gotta under you gotta understand that um, as far as the context goes, uh, and you could I mean you could tie that to modern day parallels as well. We live in Alaska, right? One of the cultural contexts that we have to know really well is airlines. Mm-hmm. When I lived in the lower forty eight, I did not have to know airlines well, <laughs> right? Because I could just drive wherever I wanted, even if it was cross country. I was like, I could just go do that. The question of my cars would make it is another story, but uh, I've seen your cars, so I would <laughs> I would question that as well. Yeah, but here you gotta know airlines, right? You gotta know how to book flights, whether that's a small charter plane through Alaska Airlines or whatnot. You just gotta know that type of stuff. You gotta know ferry systems. So we have a little bit of a culture that's a little unique to us, right? But that doesn't mean that we live outside of of the rest of the U.S. culture. So with that said, we have to understand the culture we're living in. We also have to understand that the cultures around us as well. Yeah. Involving yourself with people from different cultural backgrounds is going to make you think differently about literature you read. Mm -hmm. I know that the South Korean couple has forced me to think linguistically Mm -hmm. much differently than I, they're members of our church and and like it's forced me to think Mm -hmm. significantly differently about the way I, I speak. Yeah. All right. So here's, here's a fun one. Are you ready for this one? Yeah. All right. What about Nadab and Abihu? What's going on with that story? What is strange fire? So, you know, no heavy hitters at all. This is just a nice, like... Just going for the softball, yeah, aren't nice we? Softball. Just, just like, here's an easy question. Nadab uh, think, and Abihu, I believe strange that, fire. I believe that's in Leviticus 10, correct? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, and luckily... It's echoed in Numbers too, right? Yes, they well they mention mention it in numbers. Yeah. So for those of you that are listening that are, are having difficulty like placing that, so we did not talk in depth on this story because I didn't want to take away from the broad meta narrative, mm-hmm. right? So Spencer has some great thought. No, I'm just kidding. I'm gonna throw him under the bus here. <laughs> so so I, it's, a, it's a great story, but it is it is actually a really interesting story. And so I'm gonna give you some thoughts on it, but I'm mostly gonna encourage you to go in and do some reading yourself. So. There are a couple interpretations of this story. One of the things that I has happened very frequently is people talk about unauthorized or strange fire, and they have compared it to a charismatic movement. That is a completely inaccurate and poor exegesis. Mm-hmm. Uh, exegesis being interpretation yeah. of scripture in context. So let's talk about what's going on. God has set up the tabernacle, and mm-hmm. he's appointing... Aaron is high priest and the sons as priests underneath him. He's getting ready to consecrate them. They're having a celebration. They've been uh, eating and they've been celebrating. They've been consecrating. They've been doing all these different things, right? And then God has Moses go into the tent of meeting mm-hmm. with Aaron. Mm-hmm. And, and the cloud of God is above and, yeah. and then fills the area, yeah. right? And then it says that Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, took their censers. These are the uh, bowls that they have, and they put fire in them. So mm-hmm. they lit them on fire and added incense. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Moses then said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke among you when he said, among those who approach me, I will be proved holy in the sight of all the people. I will be honored. And Aaron remained silent. 
And it says that Moses summoned Mishael, Mishael and El-Zaphon. Man, those are great names, huh? <laughs> Sons of Aaron's uncle Uziel. And said to them, come here, carry your cousins outside of the camp, away from the front of the sanctuary. So they came and carried them, still in their tunics, outside of the camp, as Moses ordered. Then Moses said to Aaron and his sons, Eleazar and Ithamar, do not let your hair become unkempt, and do not tear your clothes, or you will die, and the Lord will be angry with the whole community. But your relatives, all the Israelites, may mourn for those the Lord has destroyed by fire. Okay, you read the story and you go, what the heck is going on? Mm -hmm. Right? I think that's a pretty normal reaction to this. Yeah. So in Exodus, there's actually a story that mirrors this very similarly. Mm-hmm. When they come to uh, Sinai, God calls Moses up, and he's supposed to take Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, which is their actual name there, and 70 elders with them mm-hmm. up the mountain, and they, they see God, whatever that means, right? And there's like the lapis lazuli, like this whole section there, with the whole area is covered in it, which is a, a precious gem. And then they sacrifice animals, they eat, they're there for seven days, and then on the eighth day, Moses goes up into the cloud. Mm-hmm. So there's a there's a mirroring in the text, like these things happen in succession orders, Yeah. right? So this is a, a repeat of what happens, except Aaron and Moses and Nadab and Abihu, they go up the mountain, and then they all have to stop. Yeah. And Moses goes on. Mm-hmm. So what happens here in Leviticus? They don't stop. Once again, they go up and all of them are going mm-hmm. and they have to stop again. Mm-hmm. And now Aaron and Moses are moving forward and going in here. Mm-hmm. And so what Nadab and Abihu do, and I, I'd like to connect this back to Genesis 1, which I think Rabbi David Foreman does a great job of doing. Mm-hmm. They go and they take for themselves in order to become part of God's move. Yeah, They are not okay with their position, and so they go and try to usurp the position of their father because their father and Moses have been called in and they are going in and actually trying to be there. Mm-hmm. Foreman actually makes a statement and some of you are going to be uncomfortable with it and that's okay. But he makes a statement that when you take your sensor, you have fire in it and you add incense, it creates what? Smoke. Smoke, which is a cloud like substance. Mm-hmm. And they are going where? Into the tabernacle. Where God's presence is manifesting as what? A cloud. So they're bringing their cloud into God's cloud, Mm -hmm. which sounds a lot like Genesis Mm three, when you will become like God, knowing both good and evil. And you're now trying to step into what God is for your own authority. And it's interesting that they are struck dead, but they're still clothed and they are carried out of the presence. Mm -hmm. They're carried outside of the tabernacle and they're buried there. There's a lot of parallels between Genesis three and what's going on here. Mm Mm-hmm. And people are really uncomfortable with this, but there are some really key takeaways that I think are really helpful in this story. Mm -hmm. God is setting up an authority of who's going to show the entire nation how to be a priest. Yeah. He's setting this up and he's like, we will not mess this up. It is not for your personal gain It is not for your personal authority. Mm -hmm. And so we are going to make it very clear what's happening here so that moving forward, you understand your role as both priest and as nation of priests mm-hmm. is to actually represent God to the nations. Mm-hmm. And immediately following this story, you have a instruction for priestly conduct. Right. And so you have then the Lord speaking to Aaron, saying, giving these list of instructions of what priestly conduct looks like. Right. So one of the takeaways I think we can take as believers is what does this story actually teach us? is that don't try to usurp the authority that God's put in somebody else's yeah. life. Yeah. See, the thing about Nadab and Abihu is their dad was not going to live forever. Mm-hmm. One of them was going to be high priest at some point and be the one who goes into the tent of meeting. Yeah. But for them, and, and I don't want to read too much in their motives, so understand that I'm reading into the intent here. But yeah. for them, they went and took to get what they wanted rather than yes. serving where God put them. Mm-hmm. Now, some applications I think are really important is Paul talks about the body of Christ and it says the foot can't just be like, hey, I'm tired of being a foot. I want to be an eye. Well, mm-hmm. you're still a foot. Mm-hmm. And the foot is very important. And no matter how much you want to be an eye, you're still a foot. Mm-hmm. And you have to be okay with where God has you because there's a function and he is God and we are not. Yep. Sometimes I think people, they, they say, well, I want this and I want this. And I was like, listen, it's okay to ask God for anything. Mm-hmm. But you also got to be okay with God saying no. Mm-hmm. And the if you're not okay with God saying no, I got news for you. 
He is not your Lord. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to preface this. This is going to sound weird, but go with me on it. Yeah, I'm, I'm like already seeing Picasso stuff going yeah, on yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. Now, say you took the liberty and said, I'm going to start rearranging where body parts go. Hmm. So, okay. Well, I'm a foot, but I want to be a hand. So I'm going to, what that actually would be is that would be the equivalent of you taking your foot and moving it to where your hand is. Now, what good is your foot going to do in the location of your hand? Nothing. You might say it's going to stink. <laughs> <laughs> it's the, yeah, it's like not going to do nothing. Or if you're like, well, I'm a hand and I want to be a foot. Yeah. What good is your hand going to do in the location of your foot? Exactly. Right. So the, so the other thing that I think is really important to note from this story, it doesn't mm-hmm. say that God is mad at Nadab and Abihu. Mm-hmm. We think he is because we assume that God is mad with us. Yeah. But it doesn't say the anger of the Lord reached out and struck down Nadab and Abihu. Mm-hmm. And God takes a look and he says, nope, come home. Mm-hmm. Right. He, he just removes them from the equation and says, and we look at life as it, but mm-hmm. we know that eternal life is meant to be spent with God. It's a, it's a qualitative mm-hmm. existence, yeah. but it's also an internal existence. Mm-hmm. Right. And so being removed from this life to go spend time with God in eternity, because we're not putting the right story on display is not necessarily a position of anger. It can be a position of love. Yeah. Right. And, and I'm going to remind you also one more time that this is not the only time something like this happens in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Think about in Acts, they've received the Holy Spirit. God has moved and they, there's 3000 people have been added. They're having regular fellowship. And then the Hellenistic Jews feel like they're being shorted. So they appoint people like above them and everybody's bringing stuff to take care of everybody. They're selling their stuff and bringing it to the apostles feet and offering it completely. And then there's these people there, Ananias and Sapphira, Mm -hmm. right? Who have a piece of property. It belongs completely to them. Mm -hmm. Now, this early church in Jesus Christ is being associated with compassion, giving, feeding, fellowship, moving in the spirit, taking care of widows and orphans. This is who they are, preaching the gospel and teaching, right? Mm -hmm. Living as a result of the risen Lord. And so Ananias and Sapphira, they sell this piece of property and they decide that they're going to give it for the community, which is a great thing, right? But they decide that they're going to misrepresent what they do. We got this amount, but we're going to hold some back for ourselves. Now, is there anything that precluded them from holding a portion for themselves? No. No. And yet they felt that they, they should go and lie at the beginning of this movement that God is doing, this new priesthood that mm-hmm. he's starting, they're going to go and lie about what they're doing to look generous, to be well thought of, to maybe enhance their status. And Ananias dies. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't say that God's mad with him. It doesn't say that God's angry. It just says that you can't lie to God about what, like the generosity of your heart. And Sapphira comes in and does the exact same thing. We read that story and we're like, ah, well, God was mad. doesn't say that God was mad. I don't think the implication is God is mad, but he's not going to let you compromise his kingdom of priests. Mm -hmm. He's going to put his story on display. Yeah. And if he has to take you home so that you don't mess up the story. He's going to do it. Now, have you ever been out with your daughter and she pushes the I'm done button? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And you know that there is nothing that can happen mm-hmm. that will fix this problem. Yeah. At this point, you don't like, you don't wheel and deal. Mm-hmm. You pick your daughter up, you walk <laughs> out, you put her in the car seat, mm-hmm. you drive her home and you have her take a nap. Yep. For those of you who don't know my daughter, she is a wonderful, strong willed, stubborn kid who once she gets her mindset on something, good luck changing it. I love strong willed children. And people are like, oh, you don't even know. I've got strong-willed children. Mm-hmm. I was like, the reason I like strong-willed children is they won't let the world change them. They're going to change the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But sometimes the done button gets pushed. Oh, yeah. And there is no <laughs> amount of conversation that can happen that I'm going to leave my child in that situation. Well, and when that done button gets pushed, that's when my daughter realizes, oh, this is where I get my strong-willed nature from. <laughs> <laughs> And so like the thing is like me as a father now, obviously we're talking about life and death versus me taking my kids Uh home. Right. Mm -hmm. But if you don't view life in terms of the finite existence we have between zero and 80, right. But rather you look at it as an eternal place where we're actually dwelling with God. It may just be time to take you home. Yeah. Because I don't want you to mess up who you are or what you're going to become. Yeah. Now, 
if you have struggles with that story in general, go keep studying. Yeah. Because that's, that's just a piece. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think we got time for maybe one or two more short ones. Yeah. Huh? I love the softball questions, by the way, guys. All right. Here's a good one for you, Spencer. I'm gonna let you answer this one. What do we lose as Christians in the Western culture and Protestant perspective when we fail to see that the story is good from the very beginning? We start in Genesis 3 as opposed to Genesis 1. Oh, we lose our value. Yeah. I mean, sorry, I was, a bit of, so I was pretty quick to jump on that, but we, we lose what our value actually is, who our value is actually, what we're, who we're actually created to be. We are created to be in relationship and fellowship with God. And so when we start the story in Genesis 3, the problem is, is what we have is we have God's taking pity on us, mm-hmm. right? And that's, that's the narrative we then go with. When the reality is God, I mean, he's not taking pity on us. He loves us, mm-hmm. and he's wanting to restore our relationship with him. So when we start in Genesis 3, what we do is we actually paint our value as garbage, when God's actually seen our value as intrinsically, like, no, you can't put a price on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why we have to start back in Genesis one, where, where the story is good, where it is very good, where we are in fellowship with God, because what it does is it paints this picture of where we're supposed to be mm-hmm. versus when we start in Genesis three, we get this, Oh, woe is me. I'm a horrible human being. And wow, I'm so glad this God took pity on me, which is not the gospel narrative. Yeah, it's not it's not the narrative through Torah either. No, it's not. Like we just talked about Leviticus. Mm-hmm. What happens when you interpret Leviticus through Genesis three? Then you are all messed up, follow these rules or die. Right. And it's like here's some restrictive rules and are meant to like keep you in line. Mm-hmm. Whereas Genesis one it says, I know what your nature is mm-hmm. and I'm gonna give you guidelines that are gonna bring that out. Yeah. What your nature is supposed to be, I should say, because it's yeah. it's no longer is because it's been broken. Mm-hmm. And so, and as parents, we see this in our kids, right? Like my daughter can be a not faced brat sometimes. <laughs> okay. I love that we're talking about our kids. Yeah, yeah. His well, daughter is pretty cool. My like, daughter. So I like. Let's just take that. Like, make yeah. sure you guys know. Yeah. But if the one thing that you'll see with my daughter too is if myself or my wife are not feeling well. She is right there like, what can I do to help you? Do you need snuggles? Can I get you water here? Let me get you a blanket. Let me do all these things to make you feel better. Very little of what she does actually makes us feel better. But like, we're going to foster that because she's like, I care about you and I see where you're at and I'm going to come alongside you. Like that is huge, right? What God does is he does the same thing where he sees us. He sees us in our brokenness, in our sickness, in our pain in our sinful, in our sin. And he says, Hey, this is not who you're designed to be. You're not designed to be sick. You're designed to be well. The exact reason why Jesus actually says, I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick, right? You don't send a doctor to healthy people. You send a a doctor to help sick people, sick people out. So we have to understand we are good. We are very good. We are designed to be good. At the core, our nature is actually good. Mm-hmm. It's just fallen. Yeah. And good news is that Jesus has already taken care of that. Yeah. So, and just to add a little context to what you just said, we were created originally very good. Mm-hmm. And we corrupted that nature. Yes. And Jesus is the door that leads us back to an uncorrupted nature. Yes. And just one little caveat on that, that just because I, I feel like this can get missed sometimes, is the design of humanity hasn't changed. Correct. Because I've heard it interpreted that the design of humanity fundamentally changed when the fall happened. I don't actually believe that we could have a more in-depth conversation. I think the design of humanity has been the same. I don't think God's changed that. I think we've had, I think we took upon ourselves to say we're better than God and God has shown us over and over again that that doesn't work. Well, and, and, and with that idea, um, I think people there, I very frequently hear, uh, different teachers and they're all over the spectrum from conservative Mm -hmm. to, uh, charismatic, uh, Pentecostal all over perspectives. Talk about how, uh, you know, God in the New Testament is about redemption and reconciliation, but God of the Old Testament was fire and brimstone. And I was like, I I feel like maybe you didn't read the Old Testament very well. Mm -hmm. I was like, or you didn't understand what Jesus said when he said, I'm the perfect representation of the Father. Mm -hmm. Like, I represent the Father perfectly. 
So if you think Jesus was fire and brimstone, then maybe you could see the Father in the Old Testament as fire and brimstone. But if you see the nature of Jesus as it was, somebody who was willing to get down in the dirt and work with people, who took, who at the height of his power was willing to put on the servant's cloak and wash feet, mm-hmm. like this guy, right? Who didn't also mind confronting people in their misunderstanding of Torah and how they treated other people. Mm-hmm. Right. Didn't mind having an extended dialogue. Didn't mind confronting people directly in their garbage. Yeah. But this is who God has always been. Mm-hmm. And so I think when we say, well, Jesus came to change everything. I was like, no, Jesus came to fulfill what God was always doing. Mm-hmm. Right. What he was doing through the people of Israel and Jesus as a Jewish Messiah fulfills what God was always doing in Israel. Yeah. We have to understand that portion of the story. Right. Yeah. All right. We're going to close with a very low ball. So you're welcome. Okay. I, I saw this one. This one came up a couple of times. Okay. Okay. What about first Timothy two? Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you guys, you're going to love this. Yeah. You're going to love this. You're going to love this. All right. And so some of the, some of you are wondering, you're like, okay, what, what are you talking about? Okay. So first Timothy two, they're specifically referencing two, verse correct. 11. It yep. says a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet for Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But woman will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, holiness with propriety. All right, we have to talk context. Yeah, <laughs> we have, we to, have talk. to talk context. All right, so Timothy was in Ephesus. Yep. Okay, the Temple of Aphrodite was located, or one of the prominent temples of Aphrodite was located in Ephesus. And so what you actually had happening in the Church of Ephesus at the time is you had priestess from the Temple of Aphrodite coming to know Jesus. Mm -hmm. And then they were trying to take their role as priestess and establish that in the church. Mm -hmm. Yet they had no idea what they were talking about. And so... You have to understand that. That's so one they, thing. they were either doing that or they were trying to usurp the authority of what God had actually brought in as, yes. as teachers because they were women. Yes. And so Ephesus was actually a weird cultural place where you had these priestess of Aphrodite and they actually held a lot of power and they would often usurp or abuse authority in general. Mm-hmm. And so here you have Paul actually saying, hey, don't do that in the church. Mm-hmm. And the word that actually... It's really, really interesting. But the word that is actually used there for authority in that passage mm-hmm. is... Um, it's not used anywhere else in the New Testament. Paul uses it one time. Yeah, in here. In that, here. That, this it. is the one time Paul uses that yeah. word. And it's to usurp or undermine or abuse authority. Like, that's kind of the concept behind it. And if you're wondering, by the way, how do we know that? It's because you look at other texts written during that time that use yeah. that word. Yeah. And that was the one time Paul used that word. So you got to understand that too. And so here, what's actually happening is 1 Timothy 2 and 1 Timothy 3, I think there, I, I don't argue translation issues a lot, but I think there are some issues that need to be addressed there. But here you have Paul saying, don't abuse authority. Don't undermine authority. Don't let women, don't let the women do this because that was what the culture promoted at the mm-hmm. time. Second thing you need to note on this is when you're reading the Timothy letters in particular, you are reading one side of a phone conversation. Mm-hmm. Timothy is having some sort of dialogue with Paul, and Paul is actually answering a lot of Timothy's questions. The problem is, is we don't know Timothy's questions. Correct. So what we do is we'll take these books and we'll be like, this is the gospel truth. And it'll be like, actually, there's a lot of gray areas right here that we need to look at because we don't actually know what Timothy was writing about. We can make some assumptions based on cultural statements. Right. And, and uh, the other thing I would add to this is the verses prior in first Timothy two talks about men standing up, worshiping mm-hmm. with raised hands. Mm-hmm. So you have, you have a two way street here. You have, you have something that's suppressing men's ability, a man's ability to actually engage in worship. Mm-hmm. And so, and we don't fully know what that is because Timothy is specifically writing to Paul again, but something suppressing man's thing. And as part of that, Paul is saying women tone it down a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I was just thinking of from my own back, background, coming from a Baptist and mm-hmm. Pentecostal background, if we put them in the same room, I'm looking at the Pentecostal said, Hey, why don't you calm down a little bit? Mm-hmm. And Baptist, you need to move a little. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. 
And uh, I was like, no, neither one of the expressions is wrong. They're just not necessarily helpful for uh, unity. Yeah. So uh, once again, we're going to throw in B.T. Roberts, Ordaining Women. Mm-hmm. Um, he actually does a pretty good uh, section on that. And um, so I want to talk specifically uh, three things that you need to focus on with this. One is that look at Paul himself. Mm-hmm. Paul was frequently promoting and working with women mm-hmm. in his ministry all throughout his letters. Phoebe, Romans 16, 1. Priscilla and Aquila, mm-hmm. right? Priscilla being named first is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Lydia mm-hmm. in Philippi, right? Mm-hmm. And Side note, the letter that was written to the Philippians mm-hmm. was the only letter that did not have direct correction. Mm-hmm. And, and for all intents and purposes, seems like it was led by women. Yep. Yeah. Just for what that's worth. Um, so that, the, you have to look into the character of like, what does Paul actually do? And like frequently in his scriptures, he's going to say there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. So mm-hmm. he's t- trying to get away from these in justification of faith and mm-hmm. serving. Also in the book of uh, Corinthians, he's going to talk about women and men prophesying. Well, prophesying in, in, it would be very equivalent to how we would preach the word. I right? love it when people pull first Corinthians out and they're like, they're like, well, it also says here that women can't preach. I was like, no, he actually says they can. He yeah. just gives instructions for how to do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the implication would be that it is like, if you're, there's instructions for women on how to prophesy, mm-hmm. the Im- implication would be that they are prophesying. Yeah. And a good book on this is Paul through Mediterranean eyes by mm-hmm. Kenneth Bailey. I yep. love me some Kenneth Bailey. Great He's book. just good man. And so, but then the second thing we want to look at here. Okay. So, this word for assume authority is to usurp or abuse authority. Mm-hmm. So what Paul is instructing Timothy is don't let women strictly because of their gender supersede who God has placed in authority simply because their gender is different than the person in authority. Mm-hmm. Right yeah. now, what's the problem with that is because now what we've used this verse where Paul's saying, don't do this. We actually use this verse to do the exact same thing the other way where God has actually placed authority on a woman to preach and, and, and teach. And we say, well, because of your gender, you are disqualified from being able to do this. Guys, we're the opposite of Ephesus. Mm-hmm. And that's wrong too. Yeah. I've made this argument a few times and I've had somebody say, well, the verses right after that say, well, it wasn't Adam that sinned, but Eve first. And yeah. then so on. And then they, and then they do this, but Adam was made first. Um, Adam was made first and then Eve. Well, yes, you are correct. Also, it was man and women. They were made in the image of God. Right. Both man and woman were made in the image of God. Like there's that completion aspect. This is a, this is a Ben theology. Mm -hmm. So just accept that. Like if you disagree, I'm, I'm totally fine with that. We still love you. But it does say that the woman bit. Mm-hmm. Then she gave some to her husband and he ate mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. their eyes were opened. Yeah. yeah. So she didn't eat and her eyes were opened and then he ate and his eyes were opened. She ate and then he ate and, and then, then their eyes were opened. I don't think it's an accident. God said it that way. No. It's almost like he could see in the future where we're going to have debates about whether or not people were qualified that he put in authority. Mm-hmm. If you were actually like legitimately trying to follow God and not just trying to assume your own authority, we want to have tons of grace with you as you struggle with this. Yeah. And if you disagree with us and you and your wife are like trying to follow this model, we are fine with you disagreeing with us and trying to serve God to your utmost. Yeah. This is a Ben through this. He's like, yeah, it's a softball question. He knows I get fired up on this topic. <laughs> There's two, two things that also have to be two other things I think just have to be addressed on this is one, when you're talking about leadership in the church, you need to know what the definition of a church leader or pastor is. Mm -hmm. Uh, so what, what defines a church and what defines their leader? Right. Right. So if you're talking like an Americanized context and you're like, well, senior pastor at a church who's on payroll, Foreign concept to Israel. Foreign concept to Israel, foreign concept to most of the world Yeah, when it comes to churches. Honestly, yeah. any of our pastoral roles are completely foreign concepts to the Middle Eastern yeah. church. Yeah, so that that's one thing. And then the other thing you need to define is what is preaching. Can we be real? Like if we're saying, well, women shouldn't preach, well, what, what do you consider preaching? Is, yeah. is there a set number of people that have to be in the room for it to be considered preaching? Or if they are sharing the gospel with one person in the grocery store and they're preaching to them, are they not allowed to do that? Right. Like you need to, you need to define these things. Yeah. 
We actually will probably do a full episode on women in ministry mm-hmm. just because I think it's a, it's an important concept. And, and I want to stress our, 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 our desire is going to be to talk about our perspective and how we understand the Bible in context and how God mm-hmm. is enabling people to live into this mm-hmm. and not suppressing what God is doing in somebody else's life. Yeah. Right now, one of the things I do think is really important to note. Oh, by the way, on that episode, we're hopefully going to get one of the pastors in town who we dearly love to come on the podcast with us. Like we give her a really hard time because we, we enjoy her so much. We really want her to come on and be able to have a conversation about that Mm -hmm. because she has been doing some really good work for the kingdom and has received a ton of heat for it. Mm -hmm. The thing is, if you could see the fruit of what's coming from her ministry, you'd have a real hard time saying that she doesn't belong there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But we want to, we want to make sure that we're having this conversation. Like we're not trying to tell you what to believe. We mm-hmm. want you to think critically about why do you believe this? Yes. Right. I don't think that having a belief is, is bad, but mm-hmm. why do you have it and how does it function in the narrative as a whole? Yeah. Yeah. All right. I think that's the end of our softball questions. Cause otherwise we're going to have this like hour and a half episode, right? <laughs> Hopefully we're just giving you a starting point mm-hmm. that you actually go look deeper. Hopefully we didn't offend anybody in this conversation. That's not our intention. Mm-hmm. It's okay to disagree with us. In fact, if you disagree with us, please send us an email. Cause we might talk about it in the next Q and a. And if we truly are wrong on something, we will correct ourselves. Correct. Correct. So. All right. Well, thank you guys so much. Check us out at loveandcontext at gmail.com. You can send us messages on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. We also have a YouTube channel. Please like and subscribe. Share there. It has our episodes on it. You can find the regular episodes on Amazon, Spotify, Amazon. I think I said Amazon twice. <laughs> Apple is the one I was thinking of. And in many other places, though, if you're listening to this, you're probably on one of those sites. Mm -hmm. So, and if you know anybody who's going to benefit from this conversation, please uh, share this with them. Yeah. Or, I mean, if somebody that you think might get irate at this conversation, share with them too. I'm fine with that. We're good with that. Yeah. All right. Love you guys. Take care. That's a wrap for today's episode. We want to extend a heartfelt thank you for tuning in and spending your valuable time with us. We hope that you found today's conversation insightful and that you take something meaningful from it. If you have questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Reach out to us at loveandcontext at gmail.com, and we will be sure to get back to you. Remember, you can always engage with our content on all your favorite listening platforms, including Apple, Spotify, Amazon, YouTube, and one. Don't forget to follow us on social media at loveandcontext on Instagram and Facebook for updates. Welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Just welcome. (laughs) Welcome. And then 35 minutes of silence. (laughs) Hopefully you all know what you're listening to at this point. I don't actually have anything to follow it up with. (laughs) I think you made coffee at the right point because we're starting to go lose it. So good. I have nothing to add. You have nothing to add to that. Oh, man, that's so funny.